The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled A Bold Frontier, Shattering the Limits of Conventional Therapies and Reshaping the Future of Lung Cancer Treatment with TROP2 Targeting ADCs and Rational Combinations. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash WFX 860. Downloadable slides and practice aids are also available. Welcome to this Peerview CME event uh, held uh, in conjunction with the World Conference on Lung Cancer 2023 approved by the ISLC. My name is Dr. Stephen Liu from Georgetown University in the U.S. Today we're going to talk about shattering the limits of conventional therapies, reshaping the future of lung cancer treatment with trope 2 targeting ADCs and rational combinations. For this one-hour program, I am joined by two esteemed colleagues with a wealth of experience in this area from Yonsei University College of Medicine in Seoul, South Korea, Dr. Sun Min Lin, and from University of Las Palmas de Gran Canaria, Dr. Delvis Rodriguez Abreu. Welcome to our, our two co-panelists. Our goals for today are to augment your knowledge of trope 2 and trope 2 targeting ADCs or antibody drug conjugates in lung cancer to improve your awareness of the monotherapy or combinatorial treatment strategies with these antibody drug conjugates in lung cancer and some of the emerging clinical data, some of which will be presented later at this meeting. And to learn how to integrate TROPE2 targeting ADCs into the treatment plans of appropriate selected patients with lung cancer and manage some of the adverse events. And so let's jump right into the discussion, talking about fundamental concepts of antibody drug conjugates. Now, I see some familiar faces in the audience that really are focused on lung cancer. Antibody drug conjugates are relatively new to the lung cancer world, but we use them throughout oncology and other disease types like breast cancer, like bladder cancer. All right, this is a meeting for lung cancer. And I think as everyone in this room knows, the treatment paradigms for non-small cell lung cancer have dramatically shifted. They resemble almost nothing what we were doing 20 years ago. This treatment is guided by biomarkers and the presence of an actionable alteration directs us towards targeted therapy, directs us away from immunotherapy. This has changed what we're capable of in lung cancer. We can see fast, dramatic, and importantly, durable responses. But the challenge here is resistance. And as good as our outcomes are, there's still a lot of room for improvement. We still face challenges with intrinsic resistance. Our response rates are not 100%, many cases far from it. And acquired resistance, even when we get responses, they don't last, they're not forever. When we see resistance emerge, our options there, unfortunately, remain pretty limited. For all the advances we have, when patients progress on immunotherapy or targeted therapy, the majority of those patients turn to cytotoxic chemotherapy, agents that we're familiar with that have their own toxicities, and unfortunately, pretty low ceilings on what they can achieve. Question we have looking forward in the field, can antibody drug conjugates fill these existing practice gaps? Well, antibody drug conjugates, the class of medicines, I think it's important we understand how they work. And I'm going to turn it over to Sun Min. Can you walk us through the structure of what ADCs are? Yes. Uh, so thank you. Um, so I'd like to walk us on the how getting to know the antibody structures. So ADC is composed of three key structures. But most importantly, uh, the antigen is required for the antibody to bind. So the ideal antigen is a highly homogeneous expressed in the tumor, but not expressed in the normal tissue. And when the TROP2 antigen is expressed in the tumors, antibody targeting TROP2 can bind to that antigen. So the antibody 
has to have a very high affinity and ability for the target tissue, target end suit, and needs to have a long half-life to stay in the bloodstream. And also the conjugation sites should have a minimal impact on the ADC stability and internalization and pharmacokinetics. So moving on to the next structure is the drug payload. This is a very important uh, topic here. Um, so as previously dealt in the question, the payload is not TROP2 directed. The payload is the chemotherapy component that is highly potent, has it's, a, it's like a bomb in the cell. As a microtubule inhibitor or DNA damage agents, they are able to uh, induce apoptosis in the cancer cells. Payload needs to be stable because uh, we don't want off-target effects in the bystander issue and um, demonstrates a local bystander effect. And as we'll be dealing with uh, Galvis later, uh, this is a maximized yeah, so we have the antibody that's targeting uh, the certain antigen that we want to express on the cancer cells. We have um, uh, this payload that for now is a cytotoxic agent, uh, though in the future it could be many different molecules, small molecules, immunoconjugates as well. Now, this, what we're showing here, is a simplified representation. This is an antibody. This is a payload. But the details here are really important. It's one of the things we're learning about antibody drug conjugates. These small changes make a big difference. Now, Delvis, it's not as simple as this. We don't have an antibody with two little arms that, that are the payloads, right? There's a little more complexity to that, right? Yes, it's deep than the third. The first one is to say, are you sure that it's a new kit in the block? <laughs> or, or is it too old? That's right. No, it's right because ADC is not new. Inventor uh, in breast cancer is usually now. But as you say, sweet zoom means the payload is very important in ADC. But the amount of this payload is linked uh, to the antibody is also very important and there is quite uh, here these two antibodies are not are not antitrop is anti hair too but it's important to, to see especially that some of them the the, the amount of payload especially in the tartosumab the rest account is dark eight and we will see this and why because the higher the dark the higher the possibility of efficacy but we, we need to be careful with, with this because maybe the higher the tar, the higher the toxicity. And there is some, some, some preclinical study that also said that if the tar is so high, the clearance in the liver could be high also. So we, we, we need to find the, the middle, the, this rational, the structural rational to have a high efficacy with a low toxicity with this. Yeah, we live in an era of you know, medicinal chemistry and synthetic biology where all of these details matter. These are really elegantly designed structures. They don't stumble upon these different ratios, as you mentioned, a balance between more drug, um, but sometimes that does affect clearance. And so all these details matter. Now, we've left the third part to last, maybe the least glamorous part of the ADC, but maybe the most important, and that's the linker. Is this what the linker is something? Yeah. So linker is like a glue. So we need a linker to connect the payload to the antibody. So uh, the linker, there are two types of linkers. So first is a non-cleavable linker, and second is the cleavable linker. So non-cleavable linker, uh, if a drug has a non-cleavable linker, it should be internalized and should be degraded in the lysosomes only. So uh, 
In contrast, cleavable liquors can be degraded uh, under acidic conditions or could be uh, lysosomal sensitive. So in theory, cleavable liquors are, uh, can induce more, um, more bystander effects. However, most agents that are developed so far have cleavable linkers. So um, we'll need to see the toxicity profiles. Yeah, so these linkers, uh, we don't want one that's too weak that releases this topoisomerase inhibitor or DNA damaging agent. Um, we don't want it so strong it doesn't release it at all. We're going to uh, look at these ADCs in general. As we mentioned, there are a lot of details that matter. Um, the antibody, the linker, the cytotoxic payload here. Uh, for the case of trope 2, largely topoisomerase inhibitors. So, Delvis, can you walk us through a little bit of the antibody drug conjugate mechanisms of action in general? Yes, right, because it's so com it's not so simple. But my question is, do, do, do we have to refer to ABC as a simple chemotherapy? Because one of the mechanisms of, of action of ABC, of course, as you say, some, some mean with the payload is chemotherapy at the end. So, one of the mechanisms of action is just due to the chemotherapy that is high potent, is more potent, that the that the the usual chemotherapy that we, we use to to treat cancer patient, but maybe it's also the mechanism of of action related with the target then taken. I think it's both, and clearly it's both. First of all, the antibody leak attached to the the, the antigen, and of course can block the activity of this pathway in the receptor, but also internalizing the cells and then can release the payload and, and the payload in some case again Sasitusumabra will be talking about that is one thousand more potent than Arginotica I we will talk about that so we are giving the drug inside the cell with high potency that can release can destroy the this, this cell and then there's another mechanism of, of action because when the cell is, is destroyed this payload this chemotherapy can damage the some around itself, even if they don't have the the, the, the antigen. But the, but the, but there is another mechanism of, of action. We were talking about antibody, especially EE1, that can have an active FC region that can link, I can activate ADCC, antibody dependent cell cytotoxic, and can stimulate the immune system. And it's another way how EDC works. So directly cell killing the bystander effect with neighboring cells, but maybe this potential synergy with immunotherapy. And I think we're just scratching the surface on the potential for these drugs. We've got a lot of ADCs in development for lung cancer on the left. Here we see our HER2 antibodies, adotrastuzumab emtansine in our NCCN guidelines in the U.S., the trastuzumab derixtecan, our FDA-approved drug for HER2 mutant lung cancer. Others in development we see for HER3, we have patritumab derixtecan uh, on the far right. Uh, we have IDXD and MGC018 looking at uh, B7H3 in small cell lung cancer, Tulisituzumab Vidotin for MET overexpressed lung cancer, and of course, right there in the middle, what we think will have a major impact for non-small cell lung cancer will be our trope 2 directed antibody drug conjugates. Sasituzumab Govitecan, Datapotamab Derixtecan. They are fun drugs to say, so I encourage you to, to practice saying them. These are our fun words. We've got a lot of them in development, a lot of different developmental strategies. This is just a list. You can download these slides for your own reference, but our focus today is on trope two. And while there are other trope two ADCs in development, these are the two that are furthest along that are most likely to impact our care. On the left is sasituzumab govotecan. On the right, datapotamab derixtecan. 
both of these ADCs targeting trope 2 both being developed in the non-small cell lung cancer space. Sasituzumab govotecan we know is approved for breast cancer, for urothelial cancer, no approvals yet for datapotumab. These drugs, though, are very different, and we're going to talk about some of these differences today. They're, the differences are more than just the colors. We know SASE is blue and Dato is orange, right? So beyond the color, there are a lot of other details that are different. So let's talk about some of these data. Trop 2 was initially, I think it was more, more simplistic than it is right now because it's just transmembrane um, protein that activate, especially not only the calcium intracellular cancer signal, that it was at the beginning we thought that. But we know rather right now, drop if rate with another injection protein like clouding and other that finally promote proliferation of the cell and, and an evolution of the tumor cell because it's, it's not only this kind of addiction but, but also my betaine, my kinase protein and all of those, those things that finally produce um, um, a proliferation and metastasis of the cell. And especially we, we know right now that a drop 2 initially was related with the developer in the brief genesis. But right now, TROP2 is related, as we can find it in a lot of tissue. And not only in tumor tissue, but also in healthy tissue. And we have to keep into account because we have to focus on the toxicity at the end. And we want to talk about that. So, the next. So, we, we know also that uh, as a trust member glucoprotein, TROP2, is highly expressed in lung cancer, in 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 non small in in, in non squamous non small cell lung cancer. It is around sixty four percent of the patient. The expression of TROP two, but in squamous could be up to seventy five percent of the patient. And we know that the higher expression of TROP two in the tumor cell, as you can see here, the pro is a bad prognostic factor in 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 lung cancer, and that's good. And we and we know it's good to know that because. We know that this population with the highest pressure can respond to ABC in the future. We don't. We we don't have uh, currently a, a recommended testing um, for TROP2, but we know that a, a lot of company and pharma are doing that because we need to identify a very biomarker also for ABC. Maybe we can disclose a statement. We want. We certainly want biomarkers. It's true, but because TROP2 is so highly expressed in lung cancer especially in those that need the therapy the most. And because we are seeing activity, at least in models, in tumors that don't express IHC, um, positive trope 2, right now these drugs are being developed sort of in an agnostic approach. So, I mean, has that been your experience as well? Yes, I think so. So the trope 2 antibody, um, the antibody is not exactly defined. There are many different types of antibody. We don't know which is the gold standard as of now. So uh, most clinical trials are derived uh, non-biomarker biomarker tested. That's right. So no biomarker selection yet. We'll work towards that. Here's an overview of some of the key trials for ADCs. And as we're about to talk about, we are really looking at all of those different strategies and more. We're trying to find the best way to use these drugs, leveraging their different properties and the different mechanisms of action. So let's start talking about these drugs in a little more detail. Delvis, can you tell us about Sasituzumab govotecan? Well, as you said, is I'm very happy to, to share with you uh, the information that we have up to now with Sasituzumab taken in lung cancer. As you say, this is this anti uh, antibody, it's an EGG1 antibody, and the payload is SN38. Uh, this is a toposomerase 1 inhibitor, but it's 
is a metabolism of hyrinotecan, but 1,000 more potent than hyrinotecan. And imagine that because, as I said, that there are in this antibodies seven or eight payload per antibody. So the amount of chemotherapy that release in the tumor is very high. And the, the, the potent of this uh, antibody, it is so. We, we have some, some data in the phase one, two, in, in, in this trial, in the, in the mu one, three, two, we, we know that we included in this, in this trial a patient with non-small cell lung cancer, but also with a small cell lung cancer. And in the dose expansion, it was sasituzumab, 8 milligram per kilo. It was 8 patient. And sasituzumab, 10 milligram per kilo, 46 patient. Uh, here you can see the response rate in this cohort of 54 patients was 16.7%. It, it is not bad, but because remember, it was in pretreated population of patients, and it was independent of the patient of drug to look. And the toxicity it was more or less the toxicity that we, we are used to treat with chemotherapy. And this toxicity was uh, nausea, diarrhea, fatigue, alopecia, neutropenia. I, I would like to emphasize that interstitial lung disease, well, that is a very concerned, aggressive vein with antibody, with acetuzumab was very low. And, and, that's, and that's good. Even if, if, if the adverse rate leading to dose reduction was 40, 43% of the patient, almost all the, the, the adverse vein was very well and, and two in this phase one, two. And of course, in, 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 this, in this trial, we have to, 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 to see the, the tumor response related with the, with the viral survival. Well, it's, it's very, very early, but you, 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 you see here in the core of um, a small cell lung cancer, we, we know a small cell lung cancer is very sensitive to chemotherapy, but it's very resistant to chemotherapy also. So whatever we find for this disease is important. And we have here an overall response rate in all the population of 14%. And in the doses, 10 milligram per kilo, 17%. It's not bad. Even if I, uh, we are talking a stable disease, 42% of the patient in a, stay in a stable disease. In a small cell, it is a good thing. Around one third of, of the patient with refractory sm a small cell lung cancer after feral second line therapy, get some clinical benefit. So we, 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 we have also that the toxicity in a small cell cancer, it, it was more, 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 more or less the same. It was diarrhea, nausea, fatigue, neutropenia, vomiting, and, and, the, uh, and the grade three adverse event was generally low. As I said before, grade one or grade two. And it's, it's nice because this kind of toxicity, we are used to treat this kind of toxicity with chemotherapy. It's important that, I think this is a really important point there, Dallas, because, you know, when we think about antibody drug conjugates, these are sort of directed, we think of them as targeted agents, but the, they're not targeted in the sense that we traditionally think of in lung cancer. A lot of people don't realize that the side effects align much more closely with chemotherapy. And so, like you, you mentioned, we can anticipate, we can treat diarrhea, nausea, we've gotten pretty good at that. We just need to understand and remember that we need to do that. If we give these drugs without proper medication, proper support of care, toxicities can be notable. But with proper pre-medications, proper support, these are much better tolerated. These are things we're very comfortable with. That's so important. I, I, we have to insist that education to the patient, education as we used to do with chemotherapy, but in this case, moreover, can help us very much 
to control the toxicity in this kind of drugs. So we, we, we have other uh, trials, um, the, the Tropic 3, this is the study design, this is the, the use of uh, sacituzumab at 10 mg per kilo. But in this trial, in pretreat population with platino pretreat population and um, PD1, uh, PD1, but it, this trial is in the select elevate drop two population. That's what I said. Because, it, because you are right, Stephen, drop two is high express in lung cancer. Are we still needing to get very biomarked? I don't know if it's drop two, I don't know if something else relate, but we, we still, it's a very good trial, it's a phase two. So yeah, we have the, the book one, everybody are waiting for the result. We're waiting because it's a phase three trial in patient with non-small cell lung cancer progressing after platino or, or immunotherapy um, without a driver mutation uh, are randomized to sacituzumab with it can 10 mg per kilo day one and eight every, every three weeks versus docetaxel, the standard of care. We're waiting because we we have it. We need in this population. We we know that immunotherapy changed the landscape of lung cancer, but a lot of patients are still uh, relapsing, still with resistance of the disease. The book two study design is a is a little bit complicated, but it's, it's in first line. It's a phase two trial that with with different cohort, the cohort A and cohort B. Is the combination of sacituzumab, pembrolizumab, the cohort, the cohort A is the combination in PDL1, more than 50% of the patient is in first line, and the cohort B is in those patients with PDL1 less than 50%. That we know in this population the response rate is lower. And the cohort C and, and B is the combination of platinum, pembrolizumab, the standard of care, plus sacituzumab, that is the chemo finally, with, not with pemetrexate not with packing taxa, but with sacituzumab, and, and the cohort C is non-esquimious, and the cohort D is esquimious, story. So, we have the, the, this data, it's a little bit spoiler. You can see the, all the documentation, all the results of this uh, presentation tomorrow, I, I think, in, in this Congress. But this is the, the extra, and we want to share with, with you some uh, as aspect and in the cohort A in patients with PDL1 more than 50%, the response rate was 75%. It's very high, but keep attention, the number of patients is low. And the cohort B in those patients with PDL1 less than 50%, we are talking sacituzumab plus pembrolizumab without platinum, and the response rate is 44%. I just want to keep attention that the, the grade three and four abetsivane was around 50% of the patient. If we look at these these data, so these will be presented tomorrow in the oral abstract session um, by by your colleague from Yonsei, uh, Byung Cho. Uh, Sunim, what, what's your take on this? Uh, I know these are just the abstract. We'll see the full data tomorrow, but your thoughts on on these two cohorts um, with sasituzumab plus Pembro frontline setting. What are your thoughts here? Yes, Stephen. So um, we've had uh, several patients enrolled in this trial at our center, and uh, will be presented tomorrow afternoon by Dr. Cho. Um, uh, as for my opinions, that uh, efficacy is encouraging in both PL and high and low patients. And given that even PDL was zero percent patients were involved in the PDL one low uh, uh, entity, so the response rate of forty four percent is uh, encouraging. And um, 
particularly we need uh, more uh, long-term data uh, to see the durability of response and the progression of survival and the survival data. And also the toxicity data is not um, uh, confirmed yet, so uh, we need to wait for long-term data. Yeah, these response rates are high, I think, but uh, we'll see what the, the full data set looks like and see these other data sets. Yeah, but, but, but at least it, it is clear that there, there is a good relation we can share. Yeah. We can combine and the combination work. Yeah. We have to, to wait, but at least it's a good, it's provocative, good number of patients with, with a response. Well, the other trial is the BOC3, the Kino uh, D46. This, this, it is also a phase three in, in first line in, with patients with PD1 more than 50%. And you, we, we know that the standard care in, in those patients with PD1 more than 50% is pembrolizumab monotherapy. And this trial is very interesting because it is sasituzumab plus pembrolizumab versus pembrolizumab. It's a phase three, and, and we are waiting to see if it can beat the pembrolizumab result. The other trial is velocity long. It is not a combination with platino, it's not a combination with pembro, but it's another combination with others. Immunotherapy is Simberelimab, you know, is anti-PD1 with Donbanalimab and TG. We're combining the ADC with others, immunotherapy compound. And I think it looks promising also. The, the, the RB is also the combination with the, the dual adenosine receptor antagonist that we know we, we have a trial presented this year in ASCO with the data in phase line. Well, we, we need to wait and we want to see this result. So there's another trope to antibody drug conjugate development for lung cancer, and that's datapotamab derixtecan. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to walk us through a little bit about this structure and some of the early data we've seen with this drug in lung cancer. Okay, so next drug is the datapotamab derixtecan. Uh, so you can see, as you see the structure in the figure, uh, you will see the derixtecan derivative uh, linked to the cleavable tetrapeptide-based linker and a humanized antitropic to IgG1 monoclonal antibody. It has a DAR of four. You can see the four payloads in red, and the payload with the short systemic half-life and the tumor-selective cleavable linker. So Tropion Pen Tumor 01, this is a study design uh, which tested the uh, first uh, activity at, at the safety of this uh, data protomap. So in the dose escalation trial, interestingly, they only involved non-smoking lung cancer in this uh, escalation. Forward, uh, the iroporamab was tried from 0.27 milligrams per kilo to 10 milligrams per kilo every three weeks. MTD was established at 8 milligrams per kilo, and later on, dose expansion of non-smoking lung cancer cohorts at three different doses, 4, 6, and 8. The primary endpoints were MTD and safety, and uh, see the anti-tumor activity of data DXD in the non-social lung cancer cohort. You can see that across the dose levels, uh, efficacy is consistently seen uh, in the waterfall plot. And the median duration of response was uh, 10.5 at uh, 6 milligrams per kilo. And if you see the spinal plot on the right bottom, you can see that uh, those, uh, all those levels achieved uh, remarkable tumor shrinkage in the beginning. Um, going out to the safety, overall manageable safety profiles, and uh, some AEs uh, specifically uh, to note is uh, nausea, stomatitis, and alopecia, fatigue, vomiting. 
So these are typical AEs that arise from yes, endotoxic chemotherapy, as we have experienced so far. Uh, the serious grade three or higher events were noted in about 20% to 35% of uh, patients treated. And of note, ILD, ed educated drug relay, uh, was noted in about 5% um, to 9%. And the tropion pen tumor 1 also included the actionable genomic alteration uh, harboring patients, such as EGFR and ELP. So this is a very interesting uh, finding because after failure on osimertinib, this drug can work on these patients. So critical activity was observed in EGFR mutant positive lung cancer harboring exome 19 deletion, L858R mutation after failure on os osimertinib. And now we know that tropion lung 01 is ongoing in the second line. Uh, this is to compare data DXD versus the current standard of care, which is a dose top cell. And the primary endpoints will be PFS and the OS. Uh, going on to tropion lung 02. So this is, uh, as Delvis mentioned before, now they're combining uh, pembrolizumab with daily DXD here. So there are six cohorts. Um, they involved uh, uh, advanced nosmosal lung cancer, and they also allowed prior treated or treatment naive patients. And cohort one and two uh, studied the doublet combination. So daily DXD plus pembrolizumab and two different doses of data, four and six. Cohorts three and four. They combined data DXD plus pembrolizumab and harboplatin. Cohort 5 and 6, they combined data DXD plus pembrolizumab plus cisplatin. So the primary objectives were to look at the safety and tolerability in the doublet and the triplet regimens. So as previously uh, presented by Dr. Goto this year's ASCO, uh, this is the efficacy of uh, this trial. So they did not, did not specify the efficacy according to the dose levels, but they uh, described the efficacy in doublet and triplet combinations. So if you see that the doublet population, they showed the objective response rate of 38% and the triplet population 49%. So the efficacy goes up when we combine uh, chemotherapy. Um, the duration of response does not in, uh, was not reached at the time of cutoffs. And you can see in the waterfall plot that uh, the blue boxes represent the doublet, the red boxes represent the triplet combination. Uh, they all seem to have nice tumor And this is the efficacy in the first line setting. So what about the first line? As you recall in the sastuzumab plus uh, pembrolizumab, uh, here, the doublet combination showed the objective response rate of 50%, and the triplet combination had 57%. And the duration of response was uh, uh, pretty durable, um, but uh, disease control was achieved in almost 91% uh, uh, in both doublet and triplet. So uh, what about safety? Um, so in this trial, uh, Treatment-related AEs occurring in more than 20% of patients are uh, depicted in these uh, bar graphs. And if we see uh, those uh, red boxes in triplet combination, we can note that 
hematologic toxicities increase uh, a lot in the triplet therapy, such as anemia, uh, thrombocytopenia, neutropenia. And I think these um, suggest that we need uh, appropriate measures and preemptive measures maybe in the dealing with the hematologic toxicity. And also, the A's of special interest are uh, notable. So oral mucositis, stomatitis, these are fairly common, occurring about more than 50%. And also ILD, uh, pneumonitis, adjudicated as drug-related, occurred about 70% in doublet and 22% in doublet. And the ocular surface toxicity and effusion reaction. So now we will have uh, new data coming up tomorrow. Uh, this is a, t- a tropian lung of four. Uh, the study design is very complicated, um, so um, I'll let you follow tomorrow. But uh, from cohort one to four, they analyzed uh, two cohorts in the abstract. So the efficacy in the first line. So the cohort two and four, they showed the response rate of uh, 50% and 76% respectively uh, with the safety summary. Uh, showing as you know. So, okay. Hey. Uh, so, if we look at these these frontline data, uh, what's what's your impression here? Again, we'll see this tomorrow at WCLC twenty three oral abstract session on ADCs. Tell us your initial impressions just from the abstract. So, Stephen, again, we, we are trying to move quickly to the first line, the combination with ADC and immunotherapy, and it it probably it, it will work. I'm sure of that, and you can see. The result, the, the response rate is even higher in the cohort for the combo. But again, the number of patients is low. It's a small number of patients. And we have to keep in, we, we, we have to, to wait to have more time to the, the, the follow up, also to see the, the toxicity. Because we, up to now, the combination of platinum based chemotherapy with pembrolizumab with another or nivoplus EP or the, the, the rest. Uh, can produce, we know how they work. We know that after five year follow-up, that a lot of people are still alive and, and without an increase of toxicity. And here, we need to be cautious, that's what I said, but I'm happy to see that the combination work. Yeah. These data are coming fast and it's good to see activity. Clearly, these are active drugs and we're adding efficacy to them. Uh, we're getting a lot of questions in there, so I'll encourage people to keep asking questions. One of the questions has to do with endpoints for these studies, I think it's very relevant to, to these initial results. What we're seeing now with these early readouts is response rate. And response rate can be helpful for patients that are symptomatic up front. Our question though, long-term, you know, is that all these drugs are doing, are they just adding additive benefit or are we really seeing synergy? And for that, I think we need more long-term survival. It's good to see better response rates. What we really want is longer survival. And because of the way these drugs work and interact with our immune system, because of the different mechanisms of action, there may really be a synergy which might allow us to, to get more durable responses too. And so those data aren't here yet. I'm surprised we've got so much data already um, to see, but clearly active drugs. Okay, so let's talk about practically how we integrate these. Here's a, a case, one of our patients, a 72-year-old male, former smoker, found to have a right middle lobe lung mask. It's this PET scan that you see here. We've got that lung mask. We've got regional adenopathy and bone metastases. Biopsy shows uh, squamous and adeno features, no actual alterations. Our PDL one's high at 70%. And so began frontline carbopem, pembro, 
regimen that, that you've made famous there, Dallas, and did well initially with a partial response, but then did show progression after about three months in the liver. And so now we're talking about second line after frontline chemo IO. What are our second line options? Delvis, what are you reaching for today off study in a second line setting? Well, it's, it's quite interesting because, you, you know, unfortunately, we are still seeing this kind of patient in our clinic. Even if chemo plus immunotherapy work, I would know that a lot of them relapse and, and are resistant to therapy at the beginning. And the standard of care for this patient is dose Docetaxel plus Nintelani plus Ramosirumab, as, as, you, as you prefer, if it's in a non-squamous story. And, but especially in the rapidly progressive patient, we combine with Nintelani in non-squamous thing in Europe. But it's a standard of care, it's Docetaxel. And that's, and that's okay. So in, in, in Korea, second line here for you? Yes, I think I agree with Delvis that uh, outside of trial, we are still stuck with those toxil, which has a response rate of less than 20% and highly toxic in patients. When we give them for six cycles or above, patients experience so much toxicity yeah, in those toxil. So I think you're still in here. But, I, but, I, but I, I would say something because we, all of us, we know that those toxicity response rate is around 18%. But it was in the era before immunotherapy. We are seeing right now that those patients will receive immunotherapy before and they will treat. And it worked not only for the cephaxel, but also for the ADC. Because maybe the response rate will be different in those phase trials that we are waiting right now, comparing antitrop 2 versus those cephaxel. Because all the patients receive immunotherapy before. Yeah. And we need to keep this in mind. We do. So those tax will still our standard of care. We've been saying that answer for decades. See Paul Bunn here in the front and saying second line dosi for too long. Clearly we need something better because not only is the, the response rate low, the ceiling's low, it's it's the toxicity. It's a tough drug. It's true. And we really sacrifice a lot of quality of life with sort of our older side of toxic. Is this a setting where ADCs will make an immediate impact, Sunman? Yes, I think so. So I think uh, we're waiting for a trapeal long zero long phase three data in the second line setting. So when we have the data published, I think we'll have the answer for that because that's comparing those toxel versus uh, data DXD one to one in the randomized phase three trial data. So we'll have to see if we'll change our treatment paradigm. Yes, if everybody wants to to remove the cefaxel from the. But it's going to be more than just efficacy, right? And so it's also going to be safety. We know the toxicity of a dose of Taxol. We're familiar with it. It's why we don't like giving that drug. But the ADCs have their own toxicity. Delvis, why don't you walk us through uh, some of the, the the notable toxicity with sasituzumab? Yes, I'm, as I said before and in the previous trial that I show, the toxicity with the sasituzumab. Because I'm, I, I have to say that the the... I think everybody are afraid with the pneumonitis when we are talking about ABC. And with the sasituzumab, you know, this kind of, of toxicity is low. But you, you have other toxicity, gastrointestinal effect like diarrhea or neutropenia that is, is, it is high. It is, and we have to educate the, the patient for this. We have to say exactly in the first week, please keep attention. If you have fever, you have to come to do a blood test and and that's all um, with, with diarrhea also, because we, we need to, to take water, to have all the pre-medication or all the medication of the patient start with diarrhea. We have to be keep hydrated. And, and that's 
for me, that's the two more important toxicity that, that we need to keep in mind where we will treat the patient with sasiconsumab. Yeah. Especially those. And I would like to say that, especially, yeah, um, but we, we, we saw in the trial, in the phase one, two trial with sasiconsumab that those patients with UGT were homozygote, all of them 90% are heterozygote, but around 10% could be homozygote. And for those patients, this kind of CCD could be higher. Um, for all toposomerase 1 inhibitor, I recommend it to keep in mind this. Uh, we use it with Rinochica in the practice in, in colon cancer and the rest of the Why not to use it and to, to be compulsory in, in, in this guy? For me, these two adverse events are the more important for sasituzumab that you have to educate the patient. So, you know, with many of these drugs, we see some myelosuppression. We can see alopecia. Important to warn patients about that. But with sasituzumab, because the payload is that active metabolite arenatecan, yeah. we're looking more at these arenatecan toxicities. And so diarrhea, neutropenia, those are the important ones to watch for. And you mentioned earlier, ILD, less of a concern with this agent, right? Yeah. Um, but also, I, I forgot, but it's good to say, it's a less toxicity, but alopecia is, is also here, and vomiting. And yeah. it's some kind of toxicity, especially vomiting or nausea, that you have to can alter the quality of life of patients, you do, don't manage properly this kind of Now, uh, the pneumonitis, which fortunately is a lot lower here, we do see it not very high rates, but we do see it with the other choke to ADC, right, Simon? Yes, that's right. So for with DATO-DXD, you see a higher incidence of pneumonitis, as we, we have seen before in the doublet combination, 17% all grades pneumonitis, uh, 22% in the triplet risk. So, uh, if we experience pneumonitis, it's quite troublesome and quite worrisome for the patients because even at grade uh, two, uh, per guideline, we should discontinue permanently the drug. And what do we do with grade one asymptomatic pneumonitis? Do we just uh, we challenge the drug? Uh, we don't have the answer for that right now. I think that will be uh, released uh, this year, in ASMO 20 this year. So um, ILD is a, a notable toxicity that we have to pay attention here. And I would suggest that this DXD uh, payload has a higher incidence of developing ILD, but we don't know exact mechanism behind that. Who will be more likely to develop ILD and who's who have the risk factors for ILD? Yeah, the toxicities with all these antibody drug conscious, we got to consider the payload, which is responsible for a lot of that, but also the antibody because that's going to localize that toxicity. And those are the on-target but off-tumor uh, toxicities that we worry about. So it's really important we familiarize ourselves with these. They don't need to dissuade us necessarily from using these agents. We just need to know what to watch for so we can anticipate, so we can properly manage the toxicities here. Uh, there's some really good questions here. First question here, Sunmin, do the trope 2 targeting EDCs show CNS activity in lung cancer? Oh, that's an interesting question. I would like to know that answer too. <laughs> but, um, uh, I think, you know, those patients with uh, CNS disease, uh, in theory, we don't, we don't think that this uh, big molecule such as ADC could penetrate uh, BBB. However, uh, those patients with brain metastasis have leaky BBB, so we might expect some CNS activity in these patients. So we don't have the intraclinal activity data yet, so we'll have to report for that. Yeah, we've seen yeah. arenatecan is a drug we use in CNS tumors, yeah. and so the payloads 
they make a difference here. But we've also seen with Trastuzumab directs TKN, again, a big molecule, so you wouldn't expect it to work, but we have seen CNS responses in breast cancer. And so I think that um, uh, the jury's still out. Doubles? Yes, it is. I'm completely agree, but we we have design uh, as, as, as the college to treat breast cancer because I was talking with them and I said, wait, I have some patient with antitrop 2 and with brain med in breast cancer and are responding also. Yes, like, I, I completely agree with you that when, when you think in antibody, it was saying with immunotherapy at, at the beginning, you think in the molecular and, and you think it's very big to, to enter in the brain, but it's not necessary that because the payload is small, is a metabolism very active, and the immune system is activated in, in some way. And I think we need to see all the data, the real data in lung cancer, but I, I'm, I'm confident that it will work some. This is an interesting point here. Uh, Delvis, we'll start with you. There's evidence that trope 2 expression can change uh, over time, that uh, in about a third of patients after treatment with chemotherapy or radiotherapy, it can alter. So they're asking, what are the potential implications of these changes in trope 2 expression after first and second line treatment? And is that going to influence where we use these? That's a very good question, but really, really, there is some, there is one study that said that after chemo, radiotherapy, expression, it doesn't occur very, very much, Steven. And that's great. And that's good. And that's why maybe we, we are still, without using drop tool as like a biomarker, but I, I don't think that we need to, to do a real biopsy and to see the expression of drop one after chemotherapy or, or, or after radiotherapy. We, we have data that this expression change, but not too much like in other sumo and other biomarkers. Yeah, I think we need to, to look at these data, but when we look at frontline second versus yeah. later lines, it might eventually sort of tell us where these drugs wind up. I insist that we, we need to find others biomarkers. I don't know which one is going to be related, but we have, we have to move in all, in, in all medical oncology and be the same, try to find. All right, this is a great point, more of a comment, I think. Sastuzumab has a drug antibody ratio of eight, um, whereas datapotamab has a drug antibody ratio of four, but the payload, uh, DXD, is a more potent payload than SN38. So how do you compare these two molecules without a head-to-head? What are your thoughts here, Samantha? It's, it's hard to compare just the numbers. I think are, if you dial up more toxicity, I don't think so. So um, the, I think that even though the uh, Dinopodamab has a, uh, SN38, it's more potent than the, those of the uh, It is true. Yeah. And it's true. The payload is potent with the Dinopodamab and the number is small. But SN38 have another particular things also when enter it. It's a small metabolic, very active also inside the cell. You, you know, it's difficult to compare face-to-face. It is. I think the right answer is you can't. You can't compare them. Yeah. They're different drugs, uh, but there are two questions here. I'll try to get to the heart of this. It's more of a direct question here. If both drugs are available, how are you choosing one over the other? That's a good question. <laughs> we, we we need to see the, the result, the, the follow-up. That's what I think some, some mean. I don't, I don't know. I agree. I'm, I'm concerned about the day eight with sasetuzumab and the pathological toxicity in that day, mm-hmm. if we have to control or not, how is the result, but we need to wait to, and to see the phase three trial yeah. that, is, that is running right now, that is close, waiting for the result. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Both strategies are on the way, first line, second line, and we have very little evidence so far that 
the uh, ADC can replace chemotherapy. So uh, many different strategies are ongoing. So I think uh, we'll need to wait for uh, more durable long-term responses and data. Yeah, I think it's a good question. These these two drugs are different, right? So they have different schedules. It's true, we'll see what the indications are, but they have different toxicity, right? and that's going to influence a lot of our treatment. And we'll see what these data look like, and and we'll look at more than just response rate. Are some of them working more of an additive level, and are some working more synergistically, improving long term outcomes? So data is still pending here. This last question, I think we're going to run out of time. Last one, though, and this is a good one. Um, you know, can we use these in sequence? If you receive one, develop resistance. Can you go to the other? What do you think, Salid? Well, the uh, acquired resistance to ADC is a hot topic, and I think it needs more uh, investigation and research. So there are many mechanisms proposed for the acquired resistance. So the target uh, down regulation and the payload resistance, many different uh, mechanisms of action, but we don't know. We don't know yet in real patients. So. We don't have the pre and post biopsy samples to compare the target levels. I think that should be done in prospective clinical trials afterwards. No, I'm completely we don't know. The answer is we don't know. Yeah. But but maybe. maybe. It depends on resistance. And if there is resistance tailored to the payload, is it tailored to the antibody? And so in theory, possibly, but we we gotta do those okay. studies. We should do those studies. So we, we are out of time at the top of the hour and make sure we keep everyone on schedule. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining, and thanks to to our uh, my panelists here, Dr. Delvis Rodriguez Abreu, Dr. Sun Min Lim. Thank you for being here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. This activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Remember to download the slides and practice aids. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash WFX 860. This program has been supported by an independent educational grant from Gilead Sciences Incorporated.